are family-oriented here. Now, if you brought your Bibles this morning, turn to Acts chapter 8. And we've been in a series of messages here on the church. We're chasing the church uh, through the book of Acts. Now, I don't know what the Lord will do uh, with me um, as far as that, I don't know if we'll transition right into Corinthians uh, because that was a church that had gotten off track and then end up in the pastoral epistles. I don't know where the Lord is, is going with this. My main concern and, and what has been on my heart, it's been on my heart for a number of years, is churches in America, many of them have come off or they need to be recalibrated. They're not doing church the way that the Word of God says to do it. And I will tell you this morning, the Bible is just that plain. It's just that clear. Uh, God has told us exactly how He wants to do things. So there should not be a debate uh, on what church should be like. There should be praying, and there's been that here. There should be some praising orderly praising and we have had that this morning we've also had special music uh, where the Lord commands all of us to sing uh, in psalms and hymns in spiritual songs he even tells you what kind of songs to sing in the house of God and remember this church is where God is the audience and we the people are the performers. We're here to worship God, to bring glory and honor to God. Now, I could stop there and preach a big message uh, on just on that dynamic alone. Many churches have went to entertainment-driven, where the person sitting in the pew is now the observer, and they must be entertained. And that is a philosophy that you will not find in the Word of God. Hence, that is why we're chasing the church through the book of Acts. And, and we're seeing that they keyed in there on preaching, praising, praying, giving, and, and then praying. Did I say praying? If it wasn't praying, it's praising. And so there was five elements there in that early church. And I understand it was Jewish. I understand it's apostolic. I got that, but it's still in the Bible. And there are principles there that even when you get later into the revelation of God and the completion of the Word of God, He does not change those things and how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God. Even later saying in 1 Timothy chapter 3 about verse 15, he says, if I tarry long, he said, I've wrote you these things, so if I tarry long, you know how to behave yourself in the house of God. We've lost sight of that in America today. So Acts chapter 8, now I won't be preaching on all that, but that has been the scope of the preaching. What was this early church doing? How did they do it? And how was God moving? But the one thing I do want us to remember is anytime God moves, Satan moves. Every time. Anytime God gets in it, Satan gets in it. And so we've been seeing here, and last week was on the stoning of Stephen. And Stephen was one of the first deacons in this early church. And we had preached a message on deacons. 
That should never be up for debate on what is a deacon's job in the house of God. And the Bible's so very clear. He said there was a problem that come up in the church that the widow's table was being neglected. And so there was uh, at that time 26,000 people in the early church and there was only 12 apostles. They were the pastors there of that early church and they were overwhelmed and they said we're going to need some help and we're going to need to appoint some men that were of good report, full of the Holy Spirit of God, and of wisdom to be over this business, not the business. It's never the deacon's job to tell the pastor what to do. You'll never find that in the Bible. It's never the deacon's job to sit in the back room dictating what they think the church should do and the direction it should go. That's between God and the pastor. The deacon is the servants to the church. I know that's going to shock some of you. You say, the pastor's not my personal servant. No, if you want one, we'll have to get us a deacon. And then you can run him. I'm God's servant according to the Bible. That's what makes us Bible believers. And hence it separates us from a lot of different people. But there are other churches, even in this town, of like faith. Other pastors this morning that I know personally, preaching the same word of God. And they got good, thriving, and strong churches because they're set up biblically. And God's people follow their pastor. And so here we are, and we were introduced last week to a young man by the name of Saul. Now Saul is a major player in the local New Testament church, but right now Saul is a lost man, and he was the man that these Pharisees and the Sadducees, they laid their coats down at Saul's feet to stone Stephen. Let's get it here in chapter 7 at about verse 58 and then read down through chapter 8 until about verse 5 or 6. And he says, And cast him out of the city, that's talking about Stephen, and stoned him. This is what happens a lot of times when you're full of the Holy Ghost of God. People say, oh Lord, I pray for that anointing. Then they can't figure out why people hate their guts and livers and, and treat them bad. And you're like, well, that's the devil's crew. When anytime you get filled with the Holy Spirit of God or you ask for the filling, the devil's crowd, they're not going to like you. And that's what happened to Stephen. He was doing what a deacon should be doing. And he, then he preached him a message and they didn't like it so they cast him out and they began to persecute him they're going to kill him here and they cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul there's Saul who later becomes to be known the Apostle Paul, who was responsible for writing no less than 13 books of the New Testament. God allowed him to pen him. He was a great and mighty apostle, but he starts out as a lost man persecuting the church of God. So let's read on. He says, And then they stoned Stephen. And Stephen, he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And we start with an and. So that means plus, and he's going to add to this thought here that was in chapter 7. And Saul, there's our character was consenting unto his death. You know I have to say it. I say it every time I come through here. 
Here's democracy in your Bible. A lot of people there goofed up on their church polity. Church is not to be run how our countries run. But anytime you find this type of voting system in the Bible, it never ends well. And so he says Saul was consenting. That means he cast his vote. Because before you could condemn a man to death, you had to cast a vote and be unanimous to take that man's life for a wrongdoing. Here they falsely accuse him. And so they cast their vote, and then uh, stoning. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church. So we're seeing when God's moving, Satan's moving. And he says, which was at Jerusalem. The church is now at 52,000 members. Remember, we've been tracking that. We are cooking on multiple burners as we're putting these messages together. We're not just not cooking on one burner. We've got two or three things going on that we're following in the Word of God as we preach each week's message. And so he says, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. You see that? Now I almost titled the message, Making Havoc of the Church. But I've done my best this week before the Lord, and I don't want to get into persecution that comes from within. The text is telling us about persecution coming from without. This is a lost person. This is a person who is using the laws. And we're going to later see that Paul gets letters. He gets authority from the government officials to hunt these people down. And so this is persecution that's coming from without. So Saul, he makes havoc of the church. That means he's trying to destroy it. He's bringing confusion upon it. Entering into every house and hailing men and women, he committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad, they went everywhere preaching the word. And then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preach Christ unto them. Now he was another deacon. And so he's been scattered also. Now let us pray. And we'll get into this topic. On the persecuted church. Or if you want to be positive. The positive side of church persecution. That's what we must focus on in this message this morning. Our gracious Father we come. We thank you now. Lord help us today. As we handle the Word of God, it's an important job. And Lord, uh, let me stand aside. Let the Holy Spirit speak through me. Let the eyes of your people be open this morning. If there be any here that's lost, let them be able to see that God is in us of a truth and come to know you as their Savior. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So we see here 52,000 people, the first mega church 
uh, in, in, in the church. 52,000 folks. So uh, the modern day preacher has nothing on what was going on in the early church. And no, they did not have a fancy building, but they were meeting there under Solomon's porch there in the temple. It was quite a large place and they were able to get in there and anybody that wasn't, they were going house to house and having church in the homes. And so the gospel was spreading here in Jerusalem. And we've seen that Stephen finished well. And we talked about that last week, about a saint of God finishing his fight and finishing the course that God has before him well. Meaning he stepped up to the task. And we see that the Holy Ghost uh, filled this man. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God... Uh, you have a holy walk. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you have a holy talk. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you're going to have a holy life. I know that's a mouthful, but we've seen that in the life of Stephen. There's a lot of people that's professing to be saved in Christians, uh, and they want to, you to think they have the Holy Spirit of God in them, but they don't have a holy talk. They cuss like sailors. They share inappropriate things on Facebook. Uh, they don't have a holy walk before the Lord. You couldn't look at them in a, in a store and say, that must be a Christian. They look different than the rest. I mean, you should look Christ-like in your day-to-day -day walk. And of course, <laughs> they're not living a holy life. Now you stick around because the next two weeks, I'll be preaching on two examples and the Word of God, which is coming up here uh, in the last half of chapter 8 and the first part of chapter 9, there are two men that get saved. And we're going to get into that and see how does a man get saved. The Ethiopian eunuch is the first one. And then this Saul, he gets saved on the road to Damascus. How did he get saved? What happened? And what did he do? It's right in the Bible. There should never be no debate. You ever met these people? They tell, oh, I've been saved 20, 30 years. And they don't go to church. They don't talk right. They don't live right. And if they'd have never just told you that, you'd have never known. There's something wrong with that kind of belief. There's something wrong with that kind of faith. And we're going to get into the Word of God. Uh, let, me, let me prime you for that message because it's in my mind. I've actually worked on that more than I've worked on this this week. But, you know, you ever hear this? People always asking all the time, Oh, preacher, I just need to know if I'm saved. You heard that? I just don't know if I'm saved. Let me, here's, that's the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. The question you need to ask is, how would I know if I was lost? That's the right question. We're going to learn that. How to know if you are lost, and here's why. The Bible says that a lot of times a person in a lost condition, the devil will deceive them because one of the side effects to sin is self-deception. And to make you think you're okay while you're living an unchristian life. So the question you must ask is, how do I know 
if I'm lost. Not how do you know if you're saved. The Bible's clear. If you're saved, you're going to know it. Romans chapter 8, he's real clear on that. He's like, oh, preacher, you're saying if I've ever doubted? Eh. No, it goes a little deeper than that. I understand new converts may be doubting their salvation. They're trying to get their lives straightened out. They're trying to get some things worked around their, their life, but there should be that desire for the milk of the Word. But you're the question you need to ask. and You ask yourself that question this week and see what answers you come up with before we get into next week's message. How would I know if I'm lost? And the devil, because when God gets in it, the devil gets in it, has he deceived me into thinking that I'm saved and I'm okay? But it doesn't bother me if I miss church. Wow, really? Okay, well, we're going to look at that from Scripture. Not my opinion. What God says about it. Well, it doesn't bother me if I drink, you know, a little social drink. It doesn't bother me. It's okay. You need to ask yourself that question. How do I know if I'm lost? That's your question. Because uh, we didn't see Stephen struggling with those, did we? He's not struggling with that. He was a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says he commands us. You want to talk about commands to obey. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine where is an excess. So he tells you straight up, you don't need to be drinking. But he says, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And he's in the context, you know how a person acts when they're full of wine or alcohol, don't you? They're just not quite themselves. He says, that's how you need to be drunk on the Holy Spirit of God. He needs to be so much in you that you have a holy walk, a holy talk, and a holy life. Totally dedicated to Christ like they were here in this early church. And so, we see the devil does not like a holy saint of God. And he removes or he moves this religious crowd because I got news for you. The Sanhedrin, the Sadducees who were in charge, they was very religious and they was very pious. If you had to see them on the street, you would have said, that must be a Christian. Watch out for the deception. Because this group, the chief priests and the Pharisees, were full of the devil. And so they had, the devil had moved them to stone this young man, Stephen. And then we see Saul come on the scene. So I see here the bereavement of Stephen. They're, 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 they're sorry that he's gone. If we've seen that down here in the verse here, verse 2, and devout men, I could preach on that. We need devout men. We need devout men in this church. There's room for devout men that are here that are going to be devout and are going to stand for what is right. Devout men. Here's what your Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, about verse 12. He says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So devout men, reverential men whose attention was to God and in their religious exercises. You didn't have to find them. You didn't have to, you know, sometimes you just can't find people with a search warrant. Where did so-and-so go? 
They knew what was needed to be done, and they did it without having to be told. And they make great lamentation. Stephen, now I'm going to make a point here. I'm going somewhere with this. Stephen had a big impact on the church. Everybody noticed when Stephen didn't show up. Let me ask you a question this morning. How big is your impact on the church that you attend? Here's where I'm going with that. As a pastor, senior pastor, I, I get, I'm like a hub for information. And so I get, I'm privy to a lot of info that comes floating through. I really do believe that there's birds that tell you things. <laughs> Just a lot of info. Every once in a while, you'll hear a complaint out of a person. Many times, they have people, they'll complain, and they have to me in years gone by, that no one comes to visit them if they miss church for a few weeks. Oh, nobody come to visit me. You, know, that's, you say, what is that? Well, as a rule, it's they're a victim all of a sudden. But here's, you're telling on yourself when you do that. You see, many times it means that your presence is so small when you are at church that no one notices you when you're not there. That's correct. You say, well, you know, I was sick and I was out. Did you tell anybody? Did anybody know? How is your presence when it comes to church? How about if I didn't show up today? Would that have caused a stir? Like, yeah, yeah, because who would you be looking at to bring the morning message? So how would people react if you didn't show up? That might, might say something about your impact or the largeness or the smallness of your presence when you're here. You know church is not a spectator sport. Church, every individual is to be involved. That's why we're working with the young kids and trying to get them to sing. And Brianna did a great job this morning. Uh, and I enjoyed hearing the song sung through Brianna's voice. And that was good. That was a blessing. I like that. She's unique. I know I'm embarrassing her just a little bit, and I don't mean to. But she needed the encouragement. Just like the rest of you need encouragement. Sometimes people won't sing because they say, well, I can't sing like so-and-so. Well, you're not so-and-so. God made you who you are. I don't preach like other preachers that preach. There's other preachers that preach a lot better than I can preach. And I'm not trying to put myself down. There are other people that can play the piano a lot better than I can. I almost quit playing the piano one time because of that. Because I couldn't play like Anthony Berger on the piano. That dude could play a piano now, couldn't he? Yeah. And the Lord says, I don't want you to play like that. I want you to play it like Todd plays it. I give you a little talent and I want to hear... You play the way you play. Same way with singing. God wants to hear you sing it the way you sing it, to the best of your ability. 
So how large is your impact in the church where you're at? Would they even notice if you were gone? Would they even notice if you didn't show up? Stephen had a big impact. But I want to draw your attention to more of the main focus of the message on the brutality of Satan. Satan is a brutal, brutal being. He is real. He is a person. And he'll manifest himself through the children of disobedience, if you would. Take your Bible to Ephesians 2. Quickly, I'll give you the Scripture on it, not my opinion, but the Bible. Ephesians 2, 1. says, In you hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Amen. Wherein in time past, he's talking to saved people in the church. He says, there was a time when you lived in sin. It was your lifestyle because you were dead to sin. But he says, now, he says, you, and, and in the time past, you walk according to the course of this world. That's right. You want to go party on Sunday instead of go to the house of God. That's a problem. There's an issue with that. According to the prince of the power of the air. Now, here's the part I want you to see. The spirit that now worketh on? No. Not if you're packing a 1611, which is the purest form of the Word of God. It's the perfect form of the Word of God. It's the preserved form of the Word of God. He says, Ian, don't he? Yeah. Those little words that the modern translators want to take out because somebody wants to confuse somebody about the brutality of Satan. The spirit of wickedness that worketh in, uh, inside, the children of disobedience. And we see that being manifested in the life of Saul, who is a lost man. He's a very religious man. He's a very well-trained man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a well-known lawyer in his day. And so Saul is lost. I'm going to throw this in here. We see him making havoc of the church. That means he's bringing confusion and disarray. And he says, I'm dragging people out of their houses. I'm going to say this. Christians don't persecute Christians. You'll never find that in the Word of God. Nowhere. I've studied it for many, many, many years. And you'll never find a place where Christians, children of God, persecute other Christians. Now, I'm real clear in what I said. I didn't say there were people pretending to be Christians who persecuted other Christians. There's been plenty of people tell me they were hurt in church. And they said, I, I don't like church much because I was hurt there. You ever been hurt in church? You can't hardly go back to that place. You just get a, a, a weird feeling of overwhelmness because of all those negative feelings. Let me tell you something. You were more than likely hurt by a tear and not a child of God. Because this Bible says Christians don't persecute Christians. And Paul, who now is named Saul, is going to be clear to make sure you understand that before he got saved, he persecuted the church of God. He made havoc of the church. And the devil was the one that was pushing him and driving him to do it. It was the spirit of evil, of wickedness, working in the children of wickedness. 
But after he got saved, he never said, you know what, I'm having a little trouble laying this habit down of killing Christians. <laughs> he, didn't have to, he didn't have to say, you know, I'm just having a little struggle here, putting that down. No, he changed because God changed him, a new creature. Now, the Bible speaks of false brethren. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, in the journeyings off, Paul is talking about this after he gets saved. He said he was in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Not everybody sitting in a church is a born-again believer, and you can mark that down. Even in Christ, in the first church, Judas was not a believer. You can do the math on that, one out of every 12. Now, don't, somebody don't go start counting people. <laughs> okay, one, two, three. <laughs> All right. I'm just running some things past you that we can take note of in the Bible. There was even a lost member and the church Christ started during his earthly member, uh, ministry. So the Bible says this, Acts 26, verse 10, Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, Paul talking, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. There's his legal. He was using the laws of the land to shut churches down. That was preaching Jesus. Did you ever stop to think that during our lockdowns, the COVID thing, when they come after churches, and still some of those churches are fighting that through the court systems, many of them are win winning? That that didn't have the devil behind that? While the strip clubs were left open, the gambling casinos left open, the beer joints were left open, but don't you dare show up to church that's preaching Jesus. Did you ever stop to think about that? That has the devil all over it in this Bible. I didn't have no problems looking at that and figuring that out. That's what the devil does. And do you know that over 30% of the membership of the church left the church and never come back? Wow, the devil got 30% just right off the top, just as quick as a wink. That's people that said at one time, well, I'd die for my faith. No, you won't. Not if you don't care enough to show up to the services. You're not dying for your faith. And when they do pass the laws, and they're going to use the laws of the land in the tribulation times to come to shut churches that preach Jesus down, what are you going to do? The brutality of Satan. He said he had received authority. And when they were put to death, I gave my consent. There's that voting again. And I punish them oft in every syn synagogue. Now, listen to what he does. This is the Apostle Paul telling with his own mouth. And I compelled them to blaspheme. You know what he was doing? He was torturing them to the point that he was getting them to say that they renounced their faith. That's what he was doing. And he loved it. He said, I was exceedingly mad against them. Brutality. 
You know, he later goes to say that he did those things in ignorance. He was a lost man had been deceived by the devil. And he, in his mind, he was keeping the law that God had given Moses. And they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so they were saying that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords. And they said, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be him. We're looking for a king, not a lamb. And so he began to kill these people because they thought they were blaspheming. That's how slick the devil is. He's brutal. Paul said before he got saved, he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and he was injurious. He said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He was laying waste. He was destroying. You don't ever forget that Satan is like a roaring lion. And lions are noted for their brutality and their savagery. They have no mercy. So he began to imprison Christians. So what did the early church do? That's where we need to get to because really this is about the positive side of church persecution. You got 52,000 people in this first church. Now the Lord had told him, he said, you need to wait in Jerusalem till you get the Holy Spirit, the Comforter comes down. He said, I got to go away. The Comforter's coming. And if, you, if you're a Bible student, that was about 50 days later, the day of Pentecost. And he says, then once that happens, I need you to go to Samaria, preaching the gospel, and to other, the uttermost parts of the world. Well, guess what? They're having such a good time there in Jerusalem that they forgot Samaria and the other parts of the world. They were having a good time. The church was growing leaps and bounds. And they're like, look what we're doing. God's into this thing. There's 52,000 people. Could you imagine in the course of six months going from 120 to 52,000? We'd have to have a stadium to meet in. That's not what the Lord had told them to do. The Lord said, now you need to go out because I want this gospel to go through the whole world. So what did the church do in light of this persecution? Well, <laughs> they kept having church. You know, they didn't call in and say, better yet, let's, let's get more up to date. I'm still on landlines. Facebook. So uh, are we having church today? You know, they weren't checking in, say, hey, uh, we having church or, or did they shut the doors of the church down? No, they knew they were going to meet. They just showed up. Yeah, but Paul drug a bunch of these people out. Or Saul, let's call him his right name for now. Saul, he drug a bunch of people out of here last week. So the Bible says, Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. I'm going to believe a lot of Christians today would have never showed back up. And said, you know what? I think they're hunting me down. Uh, they might be watching me. Hey, they're watching you anyway. They're watching you anyway. You're going to take a stand for Christ. They got their eyes on you. They kept having church. They kept assembling. 
So what did the church in Jerusalem do when they closed the church down? Well, let me say this. It's been said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so I see the bearing the precious seed. This Bible says in verse 4 in chapter 8, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere. Did they just quit? They go to Dollywood. They go to Wally World. They go to the water park. Did they go to a singing convention? Maybe. You know, maybe. You know, I, no. No, he said they, they went everywhere preaching the word. Oh, yeah, but we wasn't allowed to have church no more. And? <laughs> and? Peter said we ought to obey God than man. Yeah. I, I, I would recommend you get in on some adult Sunday school class. Brother Dave's doing a good job teaching on obedience. Ought to obey God rather than man. It's also been said that persecution may not drive us off from our work. It didn't drive them off from their work. Yet it might send us to work. You know, sometimes a pastor comes under severe persecution in a church he's trying to pastor. And, and I've always wondered, you know, well, why, why, why would they just up and leave? Well, I'll tell you why. That's what the church does in severe persecution it goes somewhere else and works for God. But they don't stop. You see, persecution emboldens true believers. Don't leave out the adjective true. Many persecutors were won to Christ by the death of a martyr. You can read the Fox's Book of Martyr. Many persecutors come to know Jesus because of how Christians died as they were burning them, religious people, burning Christians at the stake. Let's get you a copy of the Fox's Book of Martyr. It's documented history. When Christians are willing to die for their faith, the lost must take a hard look at Calvary and the work that was done there. So persecution... It emboldens true believers in persecution for the believer breaks down barriers. The Bible says they went everywhere and they kept preaching. It's been said that in each and every one of us, or at least 80% of us, there's something called a resistance gene. What I mean is if somebody tells you to do something, we, we discover this in our children very early on. When you tell them to do something, they mm, don't want to do that. That's called a resistant gene. It, it's there to resist. It runs real close to rebellion. But you know, if you can channel that, I'm not talking about rebellion. I'm talking about this resistance for God in the right manner that they'll be resistant when the laws of the land says you can't have church. Does anybody else like that? Someone said, you can't do that, and there's just something down inside of you. 
I bet I can. Yeah, I mean, you just, no, you can't do it. Yeah, mm-hmm, but you tell me you can't. You say, what is that? Well, I'm not preaching on that this morning. You can call it grit. <laughs> you can call it many different things. But you see, when persecution comes to the true believer, it breaks down those barriers because when they shut the church doors, they say, you know what? You're not going to keep us from having church. We're going to keep on. So you need a little grit down in there. You need a little something there for Jesus to resist the devil. What did he say? Resist the devil? Yeah. Resistance. A little different than rebellion. This verse of scripture, and I'm closing, took on a, a new light for me this week. I've often meditated on it and didn't really know. I thought I knew what it meant. But I don't think I, I, I did until maybe this week's studying on this church. It says in Psalms 126, verse 5, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth, scattered, and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know, I always looked at that from the perspective of a pastor. I've done more crying these last 12 years than any other time in my life. Like I'm a big crybaby or something crying over people and how people are living their lives and I can see that they're pursuing their own vain vanities and they're forsaking the mercies of God. You watch God begin to deal with them. You get on your face and you cry over it. And I thought, well, maybe that's kind of what it meant. But it, it, you know, as humans, we're always making it about us. You know, you know these people, I guarantee you they were run out of their homes run out of their church. They lost everything. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11, at the last half of that chapter, said that many of these people were reduced down to living in caves, dressed in animal skins or whatever they could find. Some of them were sawn asunder and they were hunted down like a bad animal, treated worse than animals. And God said that the world was not worthy. Do you think they might have shed some tears as they went forth? But they were emboldened to keep preaching the gospel because they were willing, like Stephen, to die for their faith because what they had was real. The persecuted church, it brings the true believer out and they'll shine see god used this persecution the devil was using the persecution to destroy the church but god used it to spread the gospel to the world showing you the sovereignty of god say oh but god why would he allow that i'll tell you why because god's not willing that any man that's man, woman, boy, girl, should perish. 
God wants everybody to go to heaven. And if that means some of His children might get persecuted and give their lives for Him just to see others, hundreds of thousands of others saved, He'll do that. And I'll tell you why. You go forth weeping, bearing that precious seed, you will no doubt, the Bible said there's no doubt in this, you'll come again bringing your sheaves with you. You said, well, they didn't bring them back to Jerusalem. No, that's probably not what he's talking about. He's talking about glory. And you'll get to see the people that got saved based off of your impact for Christ in this world. The persecuted church. Let's all stand.